Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of This Property Life podcast. Today, Caroline is going to be interviewing Amir Safdar. Amir was already a hugely experienced investor when she trained him many years ago, but Amir wanted to be able to scale and grow his portfolio to new levels. I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hi, Amir. It's so nice to see you. It's been far too long, hasn't it? It has been. It's lovely to see you as well after all these years. So we, I know our listeners are in for a real treat today um, because you are a bit of an anomaly. I hope you don't mind me saying that because all of the students I've met over the years tend to fall into the bracket where they want more money, they need more money, but you were very, very different. So just to give our listeners a bit of a, an idea, um, I met Amir back in the summer of 2015, I think it was. And when you attended um, my three-day workshop, you were already had multi-million pounds worth of property investment experience under your belt and you were financially sorted. And I remember saying to you, what on earth are you here for? What do you want? And you said, well, there's always uh, another way to, to learn and do things. And uh, that's really where the journey started for uh, our relationship but I, I'll never forget that conversation it was incredible so um, I can't wait to hear about your background and how you got to where you're at right now and what your plans are for the future well first of all thank you very much for your kind words so uh, it's, it's humbling to know that you valued me as as your sort of students in those early on days uh, yes there was, there was a an element of when uh, so it's just for the our benefit of listeners, I've, I've migrated from Pakistan in the end of uh, 1993. I had an accountancy and banking background. But when you come somewhere new, you have to start afresh. Uh, so after sort of a year or so working in supermarkets and stuff, I finally found a job where I could progress my career. So I worked for a FTSE 100 company and uh, I built my career and uh, at one point, it looked like I was in there for a job for my life because I was managing 200 people, uh, very well paid, sort of final salary and all those perks and everything else with it. And at the end of 2011, uh, the business decided that my services were no longer a value to them. They were merged in two regions. Uh, they offered me a job elsewhere in the country, but my kids were young. Uh, my daughter just started uni. Our son was at secondary school. The youngest was at primary. We just moved house. So that wasn't on the card. So I decided to take my severance pay. And I got the same job uh, with the competitors straight away. Uh, but I wasn't enjoying it because I said, I just put 16 and a half years of my life for somebody. And all of a sudden, I've become a liability from an asset overnight. Mm. So I wasn't prepared to put another 16 and a half years for them. But during all this time, uh, I've been buying properties just as a common sense uh, I bought a property with a credit card as well which I know we, we talked about it and yes it looks probably a pipe dream now but it's true uh, and that property that credit card one I still own it actually transferred to my brother last year it's worth 650,000 wow. pounds so so just to showing what what is possible once you actually put your head right and, and I was building my portfolio and I was pretty much creating more income from a rental than I was doing from this corporate job. So whilst I was on uh, gardening leave, because I couldn't start working for this competitor straight away, I bought a one-bedroom flat in Walthamstow, which is in East London, if some of you listeners know. 
And it turned into two bedroom flats within three months. Uh, I know that people talk about six months restrictions and stuff, but if you end users a cash buyer or, or did find it for their own residence, then there's no restriction. So I ended up making 45,000 pound profit in less than three months. Yeah. Uh, so that's what made me started thinking that uh, that's how much money I take home after full year's work after paying all the taxes and stuff. So if I can probably do this more full time, um, then there's definitely, and that's where I started looking around and see where else can I get enhance my knowledge. And that's where I've come across uh, the, the training you were running at the time. And even when I came to the training, I was in the process of buying a portfolio of nine properties in London, uh, which we used quite creative strategies. So, so that portfolio, we made 250,000 pound profit, the equity of 1.6 million and cash flow of 8,000 pound a month. And in 2017, I want to, Make a wish award, which I know you were present at the time as well. Uh, yeah. That's when we met after the training for the first time. Uh, and since then, I've been building my portfolio in sort of mainly around London. And um, then after the award, I was asked to do some mentoring. Uh, so a lot of our mentees they will come and invest other parts of the UK. So I couldn't put my hand on heart to say, "Oh, uh, I've done this stuff myself," because I only always invested in London. So. Yeah. So I started looking around, then I found a uh, patch in South Yorkshire. We started doing some investment, uh, which was predominantly to help some of my family members and friends to get their financial freedom. Uh, so far, I've helped many families. I've got 50-odd international students. They're investing successfully, uh, and they all invest in the UK. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's where, actually, in September of 2012, I, I said goodbye to uh, my corporate life, which was quite handsome salary and stuff. And even my boss was saying, uh, I need to decide about your future. So no, it's my life. I'm going to make the decision. And I, I moved on. And the rest is history. Uh, so a lot of portfolio has been built. So it's buy to let tradition, buy to lets HMOs, commercial, residential. Uh, in the last 12 months, I've, I've developed and sold over 4 million pounds with a property in London. Uh, there were some hiring flats uh, just as we speak. Uh, I'm due to finish a office to residential conversion of 20 apartments. Uh, we aim to finish the work by August, uh, so about two and a half months from now. Uh, and that'll be then value of 4.5 million, uh, which will give us about gross profit of about 700,000 pounds, plus 26,000 pounds in rental income per month. And after the mortgage and stuff, we'll be clearing about 10,000 pounds uh, a month. Uh, people talk about financial freedom. So, how many of these projects you need to actually get get to get to that number? And and it's it's not so much driven by about the greed. It's is to do with what is my why? Because yeah. uh, from the the childhood up, I've been always sort of attached to doing the charitable stuff. But uh, with the limited resources yourself, you run out of money very quickly because there's only so many people you can help with. Yep. So, uh, so I think that was the sort of stumbling block of, you know, that where is is where I can make a difference. And and up until the time when I actually went through some a lot of personal development, where uh, I could remove the guilt of being wealthy, uh, because part of the world I come from, majority of people with wealth either they they corrupt or they, they don't have the other they born with silver spoon. Other than that. Yeah. Not many people are wealthy, so so there was always this stigma of being wealthy is being corrupt in the, in some sense. But when I managed to 
align my values with wealth building because the more people I can help with and the, some of the sort of notable effects, and this is not about the brab about the things me and my business partners have done, is actually yeah. to just see that how many lives you can change. So uh, in the last three, four years, we uh, funded about 350 eye surgeries. We opened up a new eye clinic in Iraq. Uh, we, we've done a lot of water wells in Africa and Pakistan. Uh, recently, there's been a lot of flooding. Uh, so we help in a lot of families rebuild their houses and, and things like that. So so that actually what keeps me going because uh, I'm generally quite a modest person. I don't need a, a huge sort of income to live off, but it's, it's how many lives I can change along the way. I know my immediate family's needs are looked after, but uh, it's, it's a wider community where you can lend a hand is yeah. what makes the difference. And this was incredible because that's exactly what um, I think made you stick in my mind um, because your desire was to help other people. You know, once you've got, you know, your initial why of working out that corporate life salary, you can make more elsewhere. And once you've got yourself and your family, immediate family sorted out, then what keeps you going? Because like you say, in the last year doing four million quid or some million quid's worth of sales in London, you know, those, those numbers are so big to some of our listeners, they'll be thinking, why on earth do you still do it? So we'll come back to the charity stuff for sure, because that is a really strong um, why that keeps keeps you going. A lot of our students will be very interested in um, hearing how you started in London. I think it would be fair for me to say that even our listeners and students who live in London generally don't start investing in London because it just feels uh, unattainable. It's too, the numbers are just too big. Talk to me about how you or what strategy you started with in London. Was it mainly flips? How did you get the capital? Like talk us through that because that's what all the listeners will be keen to hear about. Well, I think I just mentioned in the intro first that there was one property bought with a credit card. So so yeah, that's, that's, going back to, that's going back to about 10% deposit days and stuff. So, uh, and my wife used to say that uh, every time you go more than 10,000 pounds in your bank, you start itching because then you need to buy another property. Yep. And I said, it doesn't make sense to actually have the money sitting in the bank because then that's where you can start to invest. And it's an ironic thing that one of our business partners, he, he started investing in Dubai. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and he was showing me the figures making 30% return and, and all that uh, kind of stuff. And he was asking me to, to join hand. And I said, look, first of all, I don't have the capital to invest in that part of the world. And secondly, I want to actually touch and feel, you know, what, what I'm investing in. Yep. So I stayed on course with the sort of just building my portfolio slowly because a lot of people can tell you it's, it's getting rich overnight and it, it doesn't work. So yep. it's, it's, it's definitely makes you wealth, but it's, it's a long-term game plan. And you have to stick to the basics and not get emotionally distracted. Um. So unfortunately, he uh, ended up buying a lot of sand for a lot of money because wow. some of the developments didn't come through and everything else. And now, whereas on the contrast, I was building slowly uh, a buy to let to another buy to let. And then uh, also what was helped with the equity increase because uh, it, it was being in a fortunate market at the time. Obviously, the tide is turning now and that's where it actually shows the resilience and and it's one of Warren Buffett's statements is actually when the tide is down, 
then you figure out who's been swimming naked. So <laughs> I, I know it's a bit, little bit gross, but actually does bring the message home that uh, you need to be not that much exposed yeah. and stick to the basic. So, so yeah, initially it was very, very simple. And then I became an accidental HMO landlord. Okay. And that was before any formal training because uh, I rented one of my former homes. So, so initially I started from one property, moved to another, I rented that one out, then I moved to the other third one. So we've done it about six times. Okay. And, and I didn't sell any of these properties. I was just putting them, let to buy and then just moving on. So one of our properties in London, I actually uh, rented to an agent and I didn't realize that he was actually renting by rooms. So I get a letter from the council saying, oh, you need to get an HMO license. So I said, what are you talking about? What is an HMO license? Uh, and also, I'm not letting the rooms. And and she was actually quite polite, but she said, look, Mr. Sapta, we've got evidence that you've got unrelated people living there. So we can help you get your sort of compliance and stuff. And that's where I actually found out what an HMO is. <laughs> uh, and, and after the sort of the training and stuff, I started realizing some of the the, the financing I have in place, uh, it, there was leverage to be made and sort of restructured my portfolio, increased my cash flow quite considerably uh, and switched my gearing and stuff. So I think that's how I started. And then this deal, which won me award in 2017 with Make-A-Wish, uh, that was a portfolio purchase and I never bought a portfolio in my life. So, but obviously from some of the training, you see that you say yes, then you figure out what, what to do later. Yep. And but we were actually quite uh, okay to take this project with the existing tenants because this this landlord tried to sell with fifty five LHA tenants before. Okay. So they all benefit tenants. Nobody wanted to touch it. He didn't want to lose his income to sort of make an empty and then suffer for six months of sort of losses, go through all the rigmarole of uh, getting the bailiffs and everything else involved. Yeah. So what that actually gave us the opportunity to actually negotiate. Uh, so I actually exchanged contract with 5% deposit. Okay. Uh, so we bought the property. It was valued at 3.25 million. We got it for 2.7. Okay. So it was a half a million pound discount there. And then we agreed a staggered completion. Initially, it was agreed for six months, but then he served some incorrect notices and stuff. So uh, when we sat around the table, he, he gave us another six months to complete the whole project. So we started doing two at a time. Okay. And even that 135,000 pounds, we didn't have it. So we actually got that funded through Angel Investment. Okay. Uh, so after doing the first two, when we went back to the bank, the bank realized that uh, we weren't leaving any money in. Yeah. So they started giving us comparison from 100 miles away uh, for the end value. So, so then we realized that if we do it on that rate, we need to leave about a million pounds in these seven properties which wouldn't have worked because we didn't have a million pounds to spare. Yeah. Uh, then we did another two and we sold those properties uh, and created our own comparison. So where the bank was saying the end value is about 550, we sold it for 650 and 675. Nice. So then we created our own comparison for the rest of the portfolio. They couldn't say that these yep. weren't. So, so which actually worked out in our favor that we didn't need to borrow any more money. So we created the cash flow within the, the deal itself. So so we ended up keeping five out of those nine properties. We sold four. Uh, and, and that was uh, a painful experience, but at the same time, very rewarding. So there were a lot of times when we thought we might not actually get the funding or uh, 
we might not get this tenant out. And we use pretty much everything under the book, uh, how we manage all those tenants. Because some of them, we have to top them up to move them elsewhere. Uh, some of them were happy, but then others, they wanted to be evicted through bailiff because then we can get them social housing and stuff. Yeah. So, so there wasn't one side fit all. So we, we were creative with what we can do. And then we worked with them. And then the, the main thing was that the, the people think that you need to have a long established relationship to get these sort of deals. So what happened was the deal came through a sourcing agent. Okay. And I still work with him quite regularly. Uh, we met him a bit at the event in Harrow uh, in London. And then after introducing, he said, I've got an HMO in Edgeware to sell. Uh, so two days later, I turned up to view the, the property with him. When I saw the property, uh, they, they developed an annex in the in the garden, which didn't have any sort of planning or uh, <laughs> use, use uh, change of use. So I said, I don't mind going through the process of getting it. Sort of, I'll pay for the process, but the, he needs to go through that the cash flow was very strong for the property but i said I, i'm not going to buy it if it's so the, he said now that he's reluctant to do it he said you buy it as is otherwise mm -hmm. he's not, not going to sell i said in that case i, I won't waste your time mm -hmm. and the same guy called me a week later about this portfolio and that we ended up doing the deal so i asked him after we did the deal i said how do you actually because it was the first time we met we only done one viewing and uh, then you're offering this portfolio a week later. Uh, and he said, because you didn't waste my time. Because you were very clear. So I thought that if, if it doesn't work for you, then you won't waste my time. So, and, and since then, we've done multi-million multi pound business with, with this agent and a few others. Because I think being transparent, is it, it, it works. Uh, yeah. A lot of people take say, oh, fake it until you make it. But... Uh, one benefit of telling the truth is that you don't need to remember what you said. Yeah, that's it, right? Yeah. Because you can catch yourself out. <laughs> exactly. So so being being transparent and and whilst I'm saying all, all these sort of projects which gone really well, there, there's been a few projects which, which things don't go in your favor. But then you have to stick to the basics. I know we've just been talking about the planning issues. So I've got one side which has been stuck for about almost three and a half years. It's one, wow. thing, uh, it's one thing after the other, the, the one rule changes, then the new London plan is coming in and stuff. And yes, I know in the long run it will be profitable, but it's having that resilience and yeah. relationship with your investors and being transparent with them and everything else. Uh, but if that's, that was the only thing I was doing, then I'll, I'll be really struck. So don't sort of bind yourself with oh, something's not working, then you just need to. Even when we were doing this hair portfolio, you might remember bought a hotel in Blackpool, yep. uh, which, 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 which was a nightmare. And then we eventually got the planning and we sold it with a bit of a loss. But then at one point, it looked like we were going to lose 400,000 pounds, but we ended up losing about 50. So, uh, yes. uh, but, but then again, that was up and down the train week in, week out and everything else. But it's, it's just being resilient and uh, keeping right. your head narrow. It is what yeah. makes the difference. So... So whether it's London or anywhere else, you need to stick to the basics. Yeah, because that's an that's interesting. That buying a portfolio, the 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 deal that that got you the award, you know, you said it, it had its challenges. You know, every every one of those transactions, every one of those properties had a different scenario, and I think maybe people when they're starting out, they would just look at that price of two point whatever million, think, oh, I don't have that. 
and therefore not even go down that road. But when you structure it and you think, actually, it doesn't matter about the number of zeros in the transaction, London market or Scottish market or wherever, actually, like you say, stick to the basics, make sure it stacks up. And there will be challenges along the way. The first deal is always quite tricky emotionally, mentally. Things are going to come up that you've never been uh, or never come across before. But um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you've said about the, the hotel that you've made a loss on. Um, you know, we're, we're very open about things that we wish we'd done differently or should have looked at differently. Um, I think it's a simple thing that if, if somebody can't show you the scars of the battle, that means they haven't actually been to one. Or if they did, then obviously they didn't make it out. But uh, if, if anybody tells you that they never made a loss in property or whatever business is doing, they, they're definitely not being truthful. Nobody, <laughs> no, nobody's that lucky. Or, the, or they haven't tried hard enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they're not actually growing. Yeah, absolutely. So so, so that's the reality. Yes, you, you'll face challenges, but as long as you're resilient, uh, you get the right people around you, you get the right environment, and, and building power team and relationship, that's, that's what really makes a difference. And... And, and also, I think what really helped me was, and maybe it might resonate with some of you listeners, actually, what is your why? You know, that when, when your why is bigger than you. Uh, and that's one of my mentors said was that, uh, like, if you want to help the poor, make sure you're not one of them. Being poor is it's not optional. You could be born anywhere. And some of these disadvantaged people we're helping, we could have been one of those because we could have been born anywhere. Yeah. But it's actually having the ability to be able to lift those people and, and the gratitude you get from it um, and, and so on this is, is priceless yeah why is bigger than you that's I think that's where any challenge you can overcome yeah so do you set aside a certain amount that you need to allocate to certain charities and then you use your property as the vehicle to go out there and create it each year or is a, a monthly um, uh, like a uh, amount that you know that you need to set aside from them on cash flow and you or you have one deal that's just for one particular charity how do you manage that because i know that your charity work is a huge part of why you do this uh, again i think the unfortunate situation we're in is that it doesn't matter how much money you have there's always more needy hands around so initially when we started we did think oh we, we need to allocate five thousand ten thousand pounds a month to uh, fund these bits and pieces but then it's, it's ever so moving target so i think we actually walked away from that relatively quickly so what we do is that we, we look at the sort of needs analysis see what what is happening around where we we help and like for example uh these some of these water wells are talked about like yeah. one of those uh especially with the solar panels up they, they cost about ten thousand us dollars okay. in, in south africa but but that can sort of supply water for about 25 to 30 years to about 30 or thousand people. So, right. so, so you look at the sort of scales of these things. Yeah. Uh, and recently, a lot of work we've been doing is, is uh, the damage done to the, you know, the people houses and floods. Like even just last week, uh, we, we, we had an appeal where there's a family of five living in just one room. Mm. And we, we just uh, sort of custom. So, uh, we're going to build another couple of rooms for them. And this is just one of thousand stories. You know, that it's, 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 I think it's ever revolving sort of target and stuff. So we, we're just making sure that we just keep on fulfilling all these things. 
So that eye clinic we built at that time, it cost us 10,000 US dollars. And eye surgeries in India, they were about 50, 60 pounds ago. So which is not a huge amount, but you can change the life of the whole family, not just one person. Because all of a sudden, that person's capable of making money. And, and what we also strongly believe in is it's not uh, uh, lending money is actually lending them a hand to actually start building their own future. So we're helping people start some small businesses, small shops and all these bits and pieces. So uh, so yes, I think early we probably need to revisit in a sort of year or so time and things are a bit settled. But I think that moment of yet to wait that it actually comes that we can actually start looking back and see, oh, we need to have this fixed amount. But because the, the targets are ever so changing, yeah. we just, just keep going the best we can. Uh, so I know you, you mentioned that your business partner is uh, out doing the charity work a lot of the time now. Just uh, as an aside, do you have your own charity set up or do you have um, charitable appeals coming to you asking for funding for certain projects and then you have to choose the project to fund? How does it work? Yeah, so initially we were sort of working with about... Uh, three or four main sort of campaigns. One was working with a couple of orphanages, was, one was in Iraq and one was in Iran. Uh, I sort of projects, they were predominantly in India uh, and water wells and uh, schooling projects, they were mostly in sort of more rural areas of uh, Pakistan and some in Africa. Okay. But since uh, my business partner, he's, he's, his dentist is completely retired now. Uh, so he's focusing 100% on the charity. So actually he's working on a much more structured charity approach. So, right. so, so he's working for World Federation now, and they, they're globally phenomenal, uh, the amount of difference these people make. So he, he's working with them pretty much full-time now. Uh, I think he probably, uh, he's the only person I know who runs out of pages in the passport before it expires. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and he carries two, and he's carried two, two of them because it's getting reserved on one while he's traveling on the other one because it's phenomenal work he's doing. And it's, it's really rewarding as well. So, so but now it's, it's much more structured. But uh, at the same time, we're working with some of these sort of smaller people because a lot of these charities, they unless there's a structured approach, they, they don't get to the every person leading. So, so I've got some people on the ground, especially back in Pakistan and Iraq and in India, where they can actually identify people with the needs and stuff, uh, uh, whether they... Uh, the disabled person or some people because of the uh, the war damage and and also the flooding flooding has been really strong uh, it's just caused so much damage to the millions and millions of lives especially in Pakistan wow wow okay so I am blown away that 10,000 US dollars can pay for a water well that can provide water for up to 25 years for did you say 30,000 people yeah yeah that's, I think if more people knew that, it, it's so ta- that's so tangible now. Like if someone said, oh, I could bring water to a rural area that struggled, struggled to get clean water, I would think I, I, I have no idea how much that would cost, the infrastructure that would be needed, but wow, that's incredible. And, and also they're very sort of efficient as well because they, they run with solar panels and stuff as well. So Wow. Okay. And 10,000 10, US dollars for an eye clinic and then 50 pounds per surgery. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So and that's-, that's what people don't realize because everybody thinks, seems to think that they need to have a lot of, lot of money to make a difference. You, you don't. Even with the small, small every single bit, you, you can 
you know, spare a pound, a penny, whatever, that, that uh, can help people change their lives elsewhere. Incredible. So your business is up there in the millions, Amir, which will be overwhelming for some of our listeners to hear because they might just be starting out or thinking about that first little £100,000 buy to let. What does the next five years look like for your business? What's the plan um, for you? Is it mainly uh, commercial? Are we talking developments? Are we talking HMOs? What's the strategy for the next five years for you? Yeah, I think... One one thing I'll tell any any of your listeners is that uh, you have to stay grounded. Doesn't matter what level you're on, uh, never let it bigger than yourself because you get humbled very very quickly. So, so you need to stay grounded because uh, again, some of your listeners might not have a belief system, and everybody each to their own. But I've got a very strong belief that uh, uh, whatever comes from you, it's just to the will of God. But also, you have to make an effort, otherwise. Uh, if I just sit at home doing do nothing, then I won't be chasing my dreams. I'll be just dreaming about them. So, yeah. so you need to need to put the work in, and it doesn't matter which level you are at. Uh, so everything else is just taking baby steps. You know, the chunk it down and just start building your milestones. Because even uh, I don't mentor so much now, but going back to my mentoring days, like the people will come and say, "Oh, I want ten thousand pound a month." from financial freedom, but what do you earn now? One fifteen hundred. 1,500. So let's look at replacing that 1,500 first. Yeah. And then the next phase will be how we can get to that 10,000 pound, given your resources, circumstances, and everything else you've got around you. Because yes, 10,000 pound is achievable. Like I told you just one deal, but that was just one. So even on, on a smaller scale, the one of my deal, which was, uh, I was finalist for a HMO uh, six plus room in the last, property investment award in 2022 so there was a two houses that got in Doncaster we converted into 11 bedroom all on suite HMO uh, we got pretty much 99 cent money in money out after the refinance it took us nine months to do the project which was three months delay because of the COVID restriction and everything else uh, and that property Clears two thousand four hundred pound a month after paying the mortgage and everything else. How many people need that sort of money? And that wasn't multi. That was not a multi-million pound deal. Bought the property for two hundred thousand pounds and spent about eighty ninety thousand pound on the conversion of it. So, uh, and at, in nine months' time, we, we recycled all the money. So you don't need to have sort of millions of deals. So if, if somebody can do two or three of those deals, they can get to the, uh, you know, five, six thousand pounds. I know going is tough at the moment because of interest rate and stuff, but don't be put off by it because that, that comes and goes. And and you make money when you buy the property, not when you sell or refinance it. So you need to be buying it right uh, and then see how you're going to be able to add value to it, whether by repurposing it, uh, renovating it, uh, to split. These are some of the sort of examples of it. But in terms of what, what I'm looking for, so I'm, I'm continuing with, with that journey in sort of South Yorkshire with some of my family, friends, and some of my sort of uh, immediate clients to help them build their portfolios because uh, there's definitely a decent amount of money to be made. And and you look at supply and demand and, and everything else. Demand is not going away anytime soon. Yep. A lot of accidental landlords are quit in the market because of interest rates and tax changes and everything else. But if you structure the business correctly, uh, you get all the reliefs if you do it to a limited company. Uh, and there's a lot of other 
small structure, but take correct sort of legal and uh, accountancy advices, hire proper people. Don't try to circumvent it because it will come and back and bite you. So work with professionals, get, get the right structures in place, and, and you can run efficient property business in, in current market. Uh, so continue to add value. And then my focus, yes, uh, the big price for the sort of buck is, is in around London, and that's mostly I know anyway. So my focus is actually doing more of these sort of obviously residential schemes. Uh, the planning value add is is definitely one, but uh, it's not for the faint-hearted and no, definitely not definitely not short-term. I know we talked about it. One of your projects taking uh, so many sort of surprises, and I've, I've got one of the sites which has been going on for about almost three years because it's one thing after the other. Uh, but uh, you have to be resilient. You have to just keep on sort of showing up, and, uh, and so so that's that's my focus. So I've got a couple of deals sort of in the development stage. So they probably one of them is and GDV probably about seven and a half million. Uh, I've got another one probably <clears throat> about four and a half million pounds. So uh, these are the two of the projects I'm, I'm sort of pipeline. So I'm not overly ambitious. I don't want hundred deals going in one go. Yeah. Because then you need to focus on the other sort of aspect of your life and stuff. And uh, and alongside uh, Property World Up, do a lot of help of, with the local community and stuff, giving some free talks and sort of uh, financial help, whether some people just need to buy their first home. Because even that's that can be a bit of a challenge for some people. And others who want to start investing and stuff. So so that's that's my core focus for the next talk to Brilliant. So you're still going to operate in the London market. And to be honest, London's probably the most reactive market, isn't it? It reacts so quickly <laughs> to changes that we, I, I, I tend to look at them, <coughs> what's happening in London and then know that the trickle effect is going to come um, north. But, you know, with, with everyone, like you say, exiting the market due to interest rates or leverage or just retiring because they're tired of it or whatever, there's going to be fantastic opportunities over the next couple of years for people who are equipped and ready to, to get involved. Yeah. And also, I think another sort of bit of feedback anybody wants to sort of know, know your numbers. You know, the, don't, don't get faced by the emotional attachment that the properties nearer you, brother-in-law's or sister's house or whatever. Do, do If the numbers work, then do the deal. Otherwise, walk away. There's plenty of deals out there. Yeah, stick with the numbers. I always say the numbers tell you what to do. Well, yeah. Amir, it's been amazing hearing what you've been up to. Um, certainly not for the faint horses. I can't. Afterwards, I'm going to hear about this three-year planning dra drama you've got because it'll make me feel better <laughs> about what I'm getting it through. Yeah. So, um, if people want to reach out to you, you are a member of our, obviously our our community, and I'm. I'm keen to get you along to one of our summits. So I'll speak to you about that after as well. You just lined yourself up for that. But take care of yourself. And thank you for sharing all of that fantastic uh, content with us today. Take care. That's brilliant. Take care. Thank you. I hope you found this week's episode hugely entertaining, informational and inspirational as well. And tune in next week for another This Property Life podcast episode.